0: Welcome to the Life Launch Podcast. My name is Heather Borsma. I'm a certified business coach who helps mama entrepreneurs double their business with more heart and less hustle. Want to learn how? Let's go. What were we going to talk about again? We were going to talk about imposter syndrome, <laughs> right? And I know. Like, I'm like, what,
1: what road are we going down? We need a direction. I've lit the incense. It's burning.
0: <laughs> so there's that. At least we have that. At least we have the incense. I'll introduce you okay, and then I'll introduce the topic, which we're going to come up what? with right now.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I love that we've done so much research. For this.
0: <laughs> so much preparation. I always want to come up with like some unique concept that sounds wow. creative and different than imposter syndrome, but that's essentially what we're talking about, right? Is like the thoughts and feelings that come up when you step out to do something new. Or yeah. when you step out to put yourself out there, totally, it's not necessarily even new. Like the feelings that you have going into the writing room or the feelings I have when I put out my webinar, it's, it's not new. It's just who decides
1: if I belong here, mm. like what makes me feel like I actually add something to this room or this conversation or, right. you know, this podcast, <laughs> <laughs> Um, what is the reason to get up in the morning is it do we do i offer anything to society whatsoever yeah. like i think we've started
0: i think we i think we're in it well i like that the beginning of this podcast is us just coming up with the topic and title of the podcast. maybe we'll find the title at, by the end of the podcast but now officially we're starting and i want to introduce the life launch podcast audience to one of my dearest friends Indeed. Who also <laughs> happens secondary to that to be a songwriter, a singer, an artist, uh, a reader, a learner, a lover of all things beautiful mm-hmm. and quirky and creative and overlooked. <laughs> I feel like you are someone who loves the overlooked things and does not oh, miss God. them. So Amanda, Amanda cook welcome to the podcast
1: thank you for having me
0: thanks for being here so we are going to be talking about doing scary shit and (laughs) all the thoughts and feelings that come up oh my gosh yeah when we put ourselves out in the world whether we're doing something for the first time or whether we're doing something for the hundredth time it doesn't seem to matter because when we put ourselves out there when we let people see us, when we come out from behind the love is blind wall, (laughs) it is always scary Uh to some degree. So I'm curious to hear a little bit about, well, you, you and I were talking the other day, we were talking about you in the writing room. And Mm -hmm. I would love to hear a little bit more about what comes up for you when you step into that space of doing something that you love doing, that you're really good at doing, that you've done for a long time, Oh what comes up when you like step into a room with people to write music?
1: It's a mix of th- like thrill and terror. I think <laughs> every time, I think every time I don't know if I have, I don't know if I'll, I i do not know if we outgrow the, the feeling like the cost of courage for vulnerability. Like there's a cost mm-hmm. involved every time we're going into a space to share ideas that may or may not be good ideas. And who decides what are good ideas? Who's who's the decider in the room? I think that's what I get curious about whenever I go into a writing room. There's, yeah, there's all the internal thoughts. There's the egoic thoughts of, like, do I belong here? What decides? Who decides? Who belongs anywhere? I mean, it goes very existential, Almost too quickly. And then I had two writing days last week where one writing day felt like it was like hard work. It feels like the songs actually beat us to bits. like, And, and we still don't have a handle on what it is when we mm. walk out of the room that night. And sometimes I walk away from writing sessions and I'm like, well, I was basically... uh <laughs> just there to watch other people write songs. I felt like I didn't offer anything to the room whatsoever. (laughs) And then other writing sessions, it feels like I'm able to bring more of myself to the table, maybe a bit more courage is involved. So then I don't second guess so many things or put things through 12 filters before I say them out loud.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. And I think a lot of it depends on relationally how much equity there is. Mm. Whenever you're doing something creative, even like this, I mean, we have so much relational equity that I feel safe to say things and try things out, like put them out into the atmosphere and be like, is that what I actually think? I don't know. You know, there's a safety to the equity that we have in relationships that then creates a space for the courage of vulnerability to be welcomed. My thought process, I've had a lot to do with deciding who I'm at the mercy of, what I'm at the mercy of. Mm -hmm. Am I at the mercy of somebody else's mood that day or someone else's idea or someone else's insecurity or someone else's thought process? Like what are what am I at the mercy of determines how much I let myself show up in public, Mm -hmm. anything, any conversation, any dinner with friends, any hangout, any writing session, any creative exploit. And realizing I have the agency to choose who I'm at the mercy of, which I forget (laughs) (laughs) quite frequently and have to return to practice every single day, essentially. Yeah.
0: I want to come back to that thought of who you're at the mercy of, but I first want to bridge a gap here. Everyone who's listening has a business and Uh they might be wondering like, why the heck are we talking about the writing room? (laughs) Um, So I just wanted to bridge that gap, which is Uh to say that, For you, this is your business. I mean, it's your art, but it's also you started, I know in the last few months, to even see it more as a business and a business being the value that you have to offer to the world. Mm
1: -hmm. And
0: for everyone listening that has a business, All of this same stuff applies, whether it's Mm -hmm. you stepping out on social media to go on your stories for the first time, to share about your business, to put out a new product, to launch a new offer. Mm -hmm. These same questions and thoughts and feelings come up that you're describing for me Mm -hmm. whenever I'm about to do a webinar or to launch a new offer to my coaching clients. It's like do I have something to say here? Will anybody care? Yeah. What if I sit down to yeah. add some value and I can't find the right words to do it? Yeah. Or what if I put something out there and I don't automatically have a hundred people signing up and buying my product, <laughs> which in my experience, I've had a lot of times where I've put things out there and it's felt like I'm launching to cricket. so yeah. <laughs> the crickets. So, these are all <laughs> so true. It's so, so these, true. So, these are all the fears that we come up against in business and in doing anything where you're putting yourself out there. Mm-hmm. And to bring it back around, when you talk about being at the mercy of someone or something, like what are some of the things that you have felt like you were at the mercy of that would then? Shut you down from? Oh my gosh! Going up,
1: right? Exactly. I think anytime we put ourselves out into like public service, we have to decide what the thoughts are that we're going to approach the public field with. For years and years, I approached it with the question of, "Am I even worth being here?" Mm. Right. And since I was little, I, I mean, I just had therapy this morning, so this is great. <laughs> <Like> rolling <laughs> off, up. rolling off the top of that. Yeah, I, I would approach like every. Recital, every church service. Uh, church services felt different because the direction, the directed gaze was towards something other than me. Mm-hmm. But any time that the, the the gaze or the stare fell on me, that was where I was like, I'm entering into a conversation in public. And if I don't have this question settled in me of, I actually have something to offer and engage with and a conversation to have that could be good, it could offer something of substance and value to the public, then there's a healthy detachment that comes when we create something. And then we end up actually, hopefully dissolving our narcissism within it so that by the time it reaches the public, it's just a public service. It's like, mm. actually this is open to interpretation. Now this is yours. This isn't mine. By the time they reach your ears, it's meant to be something that serves your story and your ideas and your thought process and your, Mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? So that's, I guess the business of art is that that's the end goal, but there's all these facts and figures within it that mess with my mind as far as whether or not it's a successful piece of Mm -hmm. art that has like come out into public to be observed. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the same with any kind of any kind of creation and sharing any kind of thing that we're part of that requires us to show up in that sort of way. Like you say it really well about having your own back, no matter how it goes, no matter what the outcome is. Learning how to do that over the long arc of my career in record deals back in the day, they used to actually accommodate the fact that not every album would be a hit. Not every album would hit this like moment in culture with people that everyone loved it so they would actually create space for like the ebb and flow of artistry so that the pressure of having to constantly produce something that is changing the world (laughs) yeah song at a time or whatever like no one really thrives under that kind of constant pressure like yeah asked me the other day about a particular song that I had written, he asked me how long it took me to write, and just blurted it out. I hadn't realized it, I don't think, until that moment. But I was like, "Well, it took me about an hour and twenty-seven years because it was twenty-seven years. The theme was twenty-seven years in the making. These themes and things on the side of us, and then eventually it hits a moment, you know, where it synthesizes into something that's digestible and actually makes sense and and brings clarity. And so the act of writing the song took. You know maybe an hour but the the action of living out and discovering and pondering and wondering and working out the theme took years and years you know Mm -hmm. so I realize I'm rabbit trailing I have no idea where this is ending up
0: (laughs) well one of the things I wanted to so there you (laughs) have it and we and that's why and that's why that's amazing um I'm going to circle back you to know I, <laughs> bring <that> back around. <laughs> circle back to when you were talking about the question of worthiness, walking into the room and wondering if you're worthy and if you um, have anything to yeah. offer, and anything to bring. And I think one of the ways that we have our own back and are brave in business is we don't put our worthiness Up for debate when we are launching a product or sharing a creation. We choose consciously and intentionally to keep our worthiness out of the conversation. This isn't a question of my identity. This isn't about whether or not I'm good enough. This isn't about whether or not I have significance or value or purpose. That's like our baseline. Our baseline is that we are worthy, that we do have something to offer, that we are significant. And from that place, Our offering will be so much braver.
1: Yeah.
0: It will be so much more creative. It will be so much more impactful because people feel what we're putting out there, right? And if they feel our question of, Am I worthy (laughs) to offer? Yeah. It's not attractive. It's not something that people are getting excited to buy or to participate in. So, I think that's part of having our own back in this is saying, like you were saying at the very beginning, what are we at the mercy of? We're not at the mercy of Mm -hmm. whether or not someone else thinks we're worthy unless we choose to ask that question. Exactly. Yeah. And we don't have to ask that question. And in fact, I would suggest that if you really want to grow your business and you really want to grow your impact in the world, you've got to stop asking that question Mm -hmm. to everybody else Mm -hmm. and start answering it for yourself that I am. I actually am worthy, and I am full of purpose, and I am full of significance, and I'm not going to put out something into the world except from that place.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> now that all sounds exactly fine and good. Said.
1: What you <laughs> said.
0: <laughs> that all sounds fine and good, but how do we do that? How do we start to cultivate a relationship with ourselves? Mm -hmm. where we're not putting ourselves at the mercy mercy. of other people.
1: Right. This is the podcast where I just, I just ask you the same question that you (laughs) posed. Oh my gosh, Heather, that's such a good question. How do? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I'm, I'm in the process of learning like that the decisions can be made. What you just described is something that you've taught me so much in over the last number of years about Making the decisions and actually putting boundaries on the imagination of things. What do you mean by that? Putting boundaries on the imagination of things. I think I get lost in the imagination of things very quickly. Like,
0: like what could be
1: or what could happen.
0: Yes, and
1: possibilities, and that can lead to a sense of paralysis for me. Mm -hmm. So having having good boundaries around my imagination looks like this is what I will think about today. Mm. This is what I will gently bring myself back to this morning. I woke up with a decision that I needed to make about how I was going to approach the thoughts and feelings that I had. And it felt like bricks, just like on the chest. Hmm. So I like, peeled myself out of bed and did my little, <laughs> little uh, routine, my little morning routines, you know, and then sat down to do the thought work of this is a circumstance and this is the thought and, mm-hmm feeling and then wait this is the action is it action Mm -hmm. and result and being able to sit down and see it staring back at me and then choose be like okay this is where I I have a decision to make about the thoughts that I want to think that will then create my reality for the day it Mm -hmm. just you know circumstantially I've been given a gift over the last number of days that has put me in the on the cusp, I've talked to you a lot about it in private, on the cusp mm-hmm. of, oh, this is where I, the gift is that I am I get to become conscious of all these things that mm-hmm. exist in my subconscious, you know, in like a dreamlike form or state or whatever that's just there because it's there. And becoming conscious to it then actually gives me back my agency of choice to decide mm-hmm. what it is I'm going to think. So the boundaries on the imagination for me are like to be an active participant in deciding what I'm going to. Think about not just entertaining a thought to see where it will lead me. Like every thought isn't necessarily a pathway that I want to end up down, but I've gone down those pathways and then I'm like,
0: Why am I
1: here? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) and then I'm like, Oh, because I walked down this pathway, I went Mm -hmm. down this pathway of imagination. Having the choice to think about something the way that I want to think about it and not that feel like denial, but rather feel like embracing reality, looking at reality head on the neutral facts of the circumstance. And then mm-hmm. like, like you talk about, make it mean whatever it's going to mean to me that day mm-hmm. that's what the boundaries of the imagination to me look like.
0: Yeah, that's so good. And I think so many people don't I mean most people listening to this podcast probably understand that they get to choose what they're going to think or probably have some kind of concept of that. But being intentional about what we think, thinking on purpose, and mm-hmm. then also recognizing when we're, like you said, walking down a path that's going to, we know where it's going to lead. Like mm-hmm. we've been down there before. It always uh-huh. goes to the same dark place. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And I'm consciously choosing not to even jump on like the positive path instead, right. but, but putting some parameters around Mm-hmm. what we're going to allow our brain to do and sometimes mm-hmm. that can be a time frame like i'm going to let myself think about what could be for a little bit and then i'm going to mm-hmm choose to think about how this could actually turn out in my favor for a little bit. And Mm -hmm. imagine that for a while too, like give equal airtime to the worst case scenario and the best case scenario, but also to direct our brain by asking our brain a good question. Like if we're asking our brain crappy Mm -hmm. questions, like brain, tell me all the reasons why (laughs) I'm not fit to be in this room and how this is all going to go wrong. Uh then we're going to get that answer. But if we ask our brain like, hey, how could this actually all be okay? Mm. Like, how could I add value in mm-hmm. this way? Mm-hmm. Then our brain will just go like a little soldier mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. do that the work of finding that evidence for us too. So mm-hmm. this whole idea of directing our imagination, setting boundaries around our imagination is really powerful. Yeah. Another question that I have for you is... If we're not at the mercy of our own worthiness, mm. I think another thing that we can put ourselves at the mercy of is other people's opinions of us and their response to us. Mm. So how do we protect ourselves from that? Like, we don't want to shut ourselves down and be like, I don't give a shit about anybody's thoughts about me. Like, that feels yeah. really resistant uh-huh. in and of that's itself. Still,
1: that's still reacting. That's,
0: yeah. That's
1: still, I'm at the mercy of them thought.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. So like, how do we not be at the mercy of, I mean, for listeners of potential client, a potential customer, for you of a potential person who's going to partake in your music and have a thought and an opinion about it? How do we not be at the mercy of people?
1: I feel like it always helps me to zoom out. And to realize that we are all having our own experiences with everything that happens in life. Every single person has their own thought systems that they put everything through. So everyone's going to have an opinion about anything that happens during their day that is based off of their own thoughts. It really has very little to do with the neutral circumstances happening right in front of us, right? So I think the zoom, the zooming out like 30,000 feet helps me a lot to realize actually we're all in this together. It gives me compassion. It gives me a bit of empathy for the fact that like someone who may come across judgment based or judgment focused and is aggressive in their, their approach with it. It, if I zoom out far enough, I realize, oh, they're dealing with their own self judgment and that's what they end up applying. That's what we end up applying on whatever circumstances in front of us, we're always making everything mean whatever we make it mean. So the zooming out helps me and it actually connects me usually to the greater fabric of people, which mm-hmm. is like, we're, we're all dealing with our own narrators in our heads. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's telling us what to think about whatever it is, that's happening. And mm-hmm. that rage is so intriguing to me. It's <laughs> you have this, we're applying meaning on a person that we're never going to meet in person, but it's so quick. The judgments are so quick, you know, to mm-hmm. the car who, who might have not seen you, like might not have done the double check, might might have just been stressed, like trying to get somewhere in a hurry and missed it, you know. Um, those little like moments where our subconscious like flares up. I'm like, this is. We're actually all dealing with our own stories in our heads that we're telling ourselves. So I think that gives me empathy for the whole scene. I like empathy. I like being able to realize that we're all dealing with our own traumas and our own histories and our own stories and our own DNA, like the things that have been passed down to us from generations. So Mm -hmm. there's a lot in play, Mm -hmm. which is really exciting and fun, like especially Mm -hmm. There's just so much in play. There's we're always evolving. There's there's always there are always storylines being told at the back of our brain. And and the closer we get to each other, the more we get to hear and overhear and be a witness to those things and partake in like, you know, the fabric of healing for people, which is amazing. I'm way off your question. But I think <laughs> as far as like how do we decide who we're at the mercy of, a lot of it came down to whatever I believed about my faith had a lot to do with it. If I believe that there was a benevolent goodness out there that was looking out for me and taking care of me and keeping me in mind and keeping us in mind, that yields to, it's just, it feels like a higher thought. It feels like something better than, and that's where I feel like that becomes a channel and a pathway for higher thoughts for me. Mm. It feels like otherly. It feels like I'm not just trying to drum something up or make something up that sounds positive enough. Mm -hmm. to better somehow, if I'm at the mercy of someone who adores me and who is looking out for our best interest and is considering all of it and is kind and compassionate. And I forget often because I have these little gods, these little ideas of God in my head that sometimes just still live that, you know, there's this, if there's a God out there that forces, you know, at best, just really preoccupied with the real needs of the world i mean there's like a war going on right now you know there, there mm-hmm. i'll i'll create a very small god very quickly in my head about this this force that has that mostly has a lot of other things to do hmm. so i'll just take care of my own stuff i'll do this stuff But it's just kind of like this, it's all these unparented places in me that really just want, they want to be parented, they want to grow, they want to grow up, and they're looking for a safe enough place to do so. Mm -hmm. So when I envision, like, because I'm such a visual thinker, in faith context, when I envision, like, where I'm placing myself at the mercy of, like, who I'm placing myself at the mercy of, it's at um, the mercy of a benevolent and kind and good God. I'm, I don't know if this is, I don't know if we're going there, but I know it's good The construction. And I know this is, these are all buzzwords, but the construction and deconstruction and reconstruction of our imaginative ideas about God, which is really a lot of what we have to work with. We have scriptures, we have ancient texts, and then we have stories and we have ideas, right. That are handed down through generations to generations to generations in all faith traditions, like all religious cultures. And reminding my soul that I am at the mercy of a kind and good force for good in the world Mm -hmm. helps me a lot. I don't like things that just end with me. I know the soul is eternal, or I say that so flippantly. I don't know. I don't know a lot. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know most things, actually. There's this this part of me that feels just purely loved. And the rest of it is just, I, I feel like my work is to actually just let... Love do what love is going to do, which is mm-hmm. to peel away all these other, all these lesser thoughts, all these little gods, all these ideas that I had about what it is to be a person, what it is to be a woman, what it is to be in the world.
0: Yeah. Well, it sounds like we're either living at the mercy of fear, uh-huh. in all of its different forms, fear of
1: I like that. our yeah.
0: own lack of worthiness, fear of what other people might think of us, fear of whether or not something's going to be successful or not, or we're at the mercy of love. Yeah, And being at the mercy of, of love is, is a really beautiful place to be. And it doesn't mean that it's not scary. And it doesn't mean that those other things don't come up. Yeah. It just means that we can filter them through this belief that we actually are loved yeah. and that at our core, that's what's true about us. Mm-hmm. And from that place, it's not so scary to jump. And it's kind of like what you said at the beginning, like the more relational equity we have yeah, in, with a friend or even in our businesses, like when we have relational equity with clients or with followers on Instagram or social media or with people on our newsletter list, like it sounds silly, but that's what we're doing is we're depositing all of these little deposits into that relational bank. Yeah. By adding value, by being ourselves, by putting what we have to offer out into the world, then when we do something vulnerable, like mm-hmm. make an offer or sell something or share something we've created, it's not so scary because there's some relational equity there. Yes. Which is a form of love. Like yeah. we've been offering love, we've been receiving love, yeah. and now we get to have that moment to be brave and vulnerable. And it feels a little less scary Yeah, because we know at the, at the end of the day, this isn't an identity thing. This isn't a question of, of our value and our worth.
1: That is so good. That is so good. And that is the toughest thing I think for me being in the art industry, that's the idea I have in my head anyways, is that it's tough for me to create something that isn't directly connected to my identity. That's what I wrestle with. That's the thought process I wrestle with a lot, but I love it. When I hear you say it, it does sound believable to me. It sounds like, oh
0: yeah, that's possible. (laughs) Right. It doesn't have to be about my identity. And this maybe is even like when we come back around to like, what is, what is the topic we're actually discussing today? (laughs) What is, what is the title? It's like, if you're struggling with imposter syndrome, If you're struggling with feeling like you don't belong in the room, like what you have to offer isn't really wanted or heard or needed, that is actually a really good indicator that you are making your business or your, in your case, your art about your identity. You're attaching those two things together. And if you can detach those two things, you'll be able to make more brave
1: offers
0: Than you ever have before. And you'll be able to do it because you know that everything that really matters is secure.
1: Yeah. Uh And so
0: if you step out and you jump and you fail, it doesn't mean you're a failure. It just means you tried something that didn't work. Right. And you can get up and you can adjust and try again. Right. I feel like we could keep going, but (laughs) I think that's a great place to stop. Yeah. Do you have any final thoughts on like, words for someone who's about to step out and put something out there and is really scared that there's going to be crickets is really scared that it's not going to work the way that they're thinking it's going to work.
1: Gosh, this is like
0: encouragement for them.
1: Well, this is very, yeah, this is present, present day.
0: Actually, yeah, this is even for you. Like you're about to put a new <laughs> album out into the world. What do you what are you telling yourself what I, today? Yeah, what do I wish to hear?
1: Oh man.
0: Why is it still a good idea to Why do it?
1: A good idea. That's a good idea. Even one. if you're scared. I think because of what it develops in us. I think it's worth it because the creative process in and of itself it's like, I've, I feel like sometimes it's teaching me, it's raising me, it's developing me as a person over the long arc of my life. I think that it's worth it because we get, to ex- we get to explore the outer edges of ourself. And we get to see the thoughts that are rolling at the back of our head. We could all stay quiet and where it's safe inside, <laughs> stay inside you know, and, and hide from the public sphere, which is what I really want to do most days. But I think that what it develops in us is is stunning. I think it's worth it.
0: Mm. It's
1: worth it actually to find out too that a lot of us feel the same things and experience similar thought processes and ideas. And with music, for example, what it's done for me because I've often written for sanity's sake. And so it's brought me to a clearing or a clarity or a, or a space of sanity. And I'm mm-hmm. like, well, if you do that for me, I trust it can do that for someone else. And so that has been like a recurring theme, I'd say over years and years of releasing music. It's It's the, if this can do this for me, I trust it can do it for someone else. And I want to step out of the way. I want it to not be about me by the time it gets to somebody else's ears. And I think mm-hmm. that's one of the reasons I keep showing up, I think, because there's moments where I'm like, why do I keep doing this? Why do I, what is the point? Those are some of my personal reasons
0: to keep showing up. I, I love what you said of the reason that we do it. I mean, I would agree with you for myself. The reason I set bigger goals, the reason I, you know, put more things out into the world is because of who I become in the process. Right. If I don't set a goal and I'm not a little bit scared or uncomfortable, then I'm not growing.
1: Yeah. And
0: that's why part of what I feel like my existence on this planet is for is to grow and is to continue becoming all of who I was created to be. And I think the becoming happens in those uncomfortable places. It happens when we set a goal, when we put ourselves out there, when we come up against our edges and stretch beyond them. So I, I definitely resonate with that. Remember that we're not the only ones by seeing other people do it and then remind others that they're not alone in it by us doing it ourselves too.
1: Yeah. Cause it's pointless to just arrive somewhere on your own and be like, wow, see, I did it. I did it. So mm-hmm. I
0: didn't
1: need any, but that's not the point. I feel like the, I feel like the richness and the joy is in like realizing that every, we're all so intricately connected and one person mm-hmm. ends up being like a whole community's bravery,
0: mm-hmm. right?
1: It's like we, we all just are looking for that one person to take the first, to say the first thing or to take the first step or to, mm-hmm. like, to show us, oh my gosh, we're all allowed to speak up. We're allowed to do this, you know? And then mm-hmm. experience that as a community, which is incredible. That's one of the reasons I feel like I'm still making music is because of that feeling that music has given me that other people have written things that have given me courage. And I'm like, Oh, I want to do my part of offering this to this, like this sea of ideas and thoughts and feelings and emotions.
0: So good. Well, thanks for hanging out with me today and talking about, I don't know, imposter (laughs) syndrome, syndrome, fear, (laughs) being brave. You're the best love you love you too thanks so much for tuning in to today's episode if you found it helpful follow along and give us a quick review so that we can get the more heart less hustle message into the hands of more women and if you want to take this work even deeper come check out life launch it's my monthly coaching membership where we take all of these ideas and we apply them to your life so you can get the incredible results for yourself check it out at heatherborzma.com we'll see you next week